The Raw Rugby Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Royal Rugby Podcast. I'm Brett McKay. Codes have been crossed, coaches have been point, appointed stupidly ahead of time, and the Chiefs stand alone, unbeaten, and on top of Super Rugby Pacific. And your place for the biggest and best rugby discussion is theraw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. Wonderful to have Harry Wilson back on the pod last week, and congrats to the sonar eared among you who picked up on his description of last weekend's Reds Drua game as being a battle of nutrition. Great to see him continuing his strong vein of form against the Rebels as well. Joining me this and every week, yet to be taken over by the AI bots, and because his photographer remains irreplaceable, mainly Harry Jones. Hello, mate. Where are you coming to me from this week? How's it, Brett? How's it? I'm at an international convention of fixers in Washington, D.C. this uh, week. Of course you are. Getting an award today for humanitarianism. So I'm the most humanitarian <laughs> fixer in the world. <laughs> I, I it's for the children. No, I have no further questions there. The um, the AI <laughs> reference is of course uh, a nod to Jeff Park's Chat GPT column uh, on the Raw on Monday. <laughs> if you've not seen that, uh, I can absolutely recommend checking that out. I I know I couldn't work out where Jeff finished and the bots took over. It was. There was a lot of truth in that, wasn't there? Yeah, it was scary because it was. Uh, it might have been his best column. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> might well have been. It might well have been. Did you hear Harry? Did you hear Harry Wilson say "Battle of Nutrition"? Yeah, I did, but it slipped the first time. I, it got yeah. the second time around. I did notice that his uh, passing technique was greatly improved, which carries on our pod tradition of good luck. So our guests yeah, this true. week should be happy. Everyone who true. comes on our pod has excelled the next week. Yes, it's always 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 good signs, and let's hope that can be the case. For this week's guest, there's another addition to the already strong scrum half depth for the Raw Boars selection. And in a classic case of when we thought the time zones could work for us, they've actually worked against us. The Raw Rugby Podcast. We go to the pod's new Perth studio from where it's a very warm welcome for the first time to the Raw Rugby Podcast, to the heart and soul of the Western Force, Scrum Half, and still occasionally the captain, Ian Pryor. Hello, mate. Welcome from the West. Good. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, you're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. You're, uh, you're not in New Zealand. We thought this was the week. This would work well for us. We get you while you're in New Zealand. And then it took me a day and a half to work out while we we're swapping messages that you're actually still in Perth. So, yeah, that's <laughs> right. Quite that's work right. We had thought the sun's still up here, so that's a big win. <laughs> yeah, true, very true. Um, you're uh, you're a few weeks away from being back on on the on the field, so the the tour, fair to say, hasn't quite gone to plan as yet. Yeah, unfortunately, um, we've played. You know some really good patches of rugby for a while just sort of at crucial moments you know last week sorry two weeks ago probably let the uh foot off the gas around the 70 minute mark and the highlanders came home strong there um when we kind of thought we had the game in the balance and then obviously the blues resting a few players we thought we were a chance and again we looked good in patches but just that consistency to back up good effort on good efforts um wasn't quite there in, in certain patches and you know, they've got the depth to sort of follow through yeah, yeah, no doubt. We start off in the same place uh, every weekend, you can, and you can keep us going here. What stood out from you for you um, across the weekend of rugby, whatever you might have taken in from from wherever you were watching? Um, 
I think what's been really good compared to last few years, um, I'm noticing across the board is teams are scoring a lot of points and attack, and there's a real mm. onus and a real focus of teams, you know, to score. When you look at the Rebels Reds, 40 to 34. I mean, previously, you know, look a few years ago, that would have been a bash fest that might have been, you know, 15-10 or 20-10, yeah. and lots, you know, lots of physicality. It's more. I feel like the Aussie teams when they play each other now, there's more onus to really attack with the ball rather than just sort of nullify and defense if that makes sense so yeah um you know that's been really exciting obviously the fijian drawers growth is both exciting and scary prospect at the same time <laughs> um and then yeah you see teams like you know the chiefs undefeated at this point and you look at you know last year the year they had it's uh, it's a really open comp in terms of the top you know 10 to 12 teams there at least yeah yeah and and once again we've got this log jam in the middle where between teams you know, maybe the oh, who is it in fourth? Blues are in fourth, down to about eighth or ninth. There's a game and a half in it, so it's yeah, absolutely. it's really tight, really tight. Harry, what stood out for you? What did you what did you notice across the weekend? Uh, it was a big weekend of rugby. Um, a team that I'm helping in Mexico won four scrum penalties, uh, and I'm the scrum consultant, but we lost the game very badly. Um, I saw that the Stormers and the Leinster went uh, went toe to toe in Dublin, and that was yes. Exciting. Fra- Could Fra- not Fra- be split. Ever, friend of the pod won yep. like two scrum penalties, uh, and then yeah, for me the Reds and the Rebels game was the game of the weekend. It was just um, really highly entertaining. Um, yeah. I, I really didn't know what was going to happen till till the very end, and even then I wasn't sure what happened, and um, it might yeah. not have been the right call. But uh, hey, we're not going to talk about refs on this pod. Well, we are for one little moment because because oh, my yeah, we are. The, th- the, the thing that stood out <laughs> for me from the weekend was was a moment where commentators were genuinely asking for a very clear jumper grab to be ignored because essentially their argument went there wasn't enough obstruction, and so now we're going to oh. as as if as if the laws aren't you know complicated enough, we now want to add elements <laughs> of grey to them, and that's no, but I, I think. I think their argument was that he was going the wrong way, that he had guessed the wrong way. He was going open instead of blind anyway, and so it was immaterial. A jumper grab's a jumper grab. That is a penalty <laughs> every day of the week, right? Spoken every like a nine. I'm surrounded by nines. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a little bit deliberate. That's a little bit. Just on the points, though, and you've both mentioned this now, and I've written this in my column on Tuesday, that round three we had 36 tries scored for the weekend. Last weekend, round four was 57. It was 52 in this weekend, in this round, just gone. So you, you're right. All of a sudden, it's raining tries from everywhere. And it's been it's been great to watch. I completely agree. The, the Reds, the Rebels-Reds game, which was, as it turned out, the only game I watched live on the, across the weekend, was a cracking contest. And that's absolutely what we what we asked for. Um, Ian, talk us through the, the first four rounds for the Western Force. How are you guys... Um, observing, um, you know, judging yourselves after the first month or so. Yeah, look, we've um, obviously got a new coaching staff and, you know, a, a relatively fresh squad in there, but we've been pretty hard on ourselves. We um, feel like we've played some really good rugby in patches and then some pretty average rugby in patches as well. Um, it's probably about narrowing that bandwidth a little bit where, you know, it's the yeah. real good into the not so good, probably trying to narrow that a little bit. And, you know, we've had... 13, 14 debutants in our squad this year, which shows a lot of where the squad's at. But yeah, at the same lot. time, which has been good as it hasn't been talked about as an excuse. You know, we've sort of focused on 
no matter who's in the jersey, doing your job and making sure we do that. And it just shows the margin for error in Super Rugby. You know, if you if you let teams get a sniff, they're going to take it. So, yeah, besides that Reds game where we were definitely poor, probably majority of the game, they opened us up and punished us for our mm-hmm. errors. We've uh, we've been in the contest, which is good. So, as you guys both know, winning is a, a mentality and a mindset. And once you get a yeah. bit of momentum in that in that regard, you win games you probably shouldn't win in. Um, so we need to get the ball rolling a little bit in terms of that sense. Does the way the Rebels have turned things around give you a bit of a blueprint for what you guys can achieve? Because I reckon we can see them growing in confidence. And I think even, maybe even only last year, they don't come back from being 14-0 down after after 20 minutes. And they maybe don't come back from uh, from giving up that lead late in the game. But they composed themselves, they got back in the contest, and they defended their line like it, you know, like it, like it depended on it, and it literally did to to win it. So yeah, you guys have got a pretty new squad as well. So like you can see, it's 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 certainly possible. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's a real credit to um, you know, Kevin Foot, who runs obviously he's the head coach, but he runs their defence, and he's a real passionate guy. Talks about playing for each other, and you know, really immerses that in his culture. And you can see that that the guys sort of come together, you know, like you said, after fourteen points down and played for each other and found a way back into the game. So. Yeah, certainly anything's possible. Um, and, you know, for us, it's just about you know, executing the basics really well and doing that time and time and time again because that's the stuff that wins and that's what makes teams like the Brumbies so good. They do the basics yeah. really, really well repetitively um, and they're so well drilled in that and that's what keeps them up there against any team in the comp. So that's our real focus, I, I think, is that consistency of doing the basics excellent time and time yeah. again. What have you seen about the force, Harry, this year so far? No, I think so. I think the level of all the Australian teams is up. Um, it does look so. It's hard to quantify that, right? I mean, it seems like every time the Kiwi players get involved, there's this kind of uh, deflation. But I do think it's harder to beat the Australian teams this year. It looks like, yeah. and um, and I think there's more fundamentals being um, played. You know, I was going to ask you, Ian, like. I know you have more college degrees than anyone else in rugby. Um, <laughs> are you are you thinking? Are you do you have a one eye towards coaching? Do you want to get into the more analytical part of the game? Every coach I've had says I should coach. Bit of a student of the game, um, and I love working with players and sort of helping upskill. And I was really lucky early in my career to learn off guys like Ewan McKenzie, Jim Mackay, Stephen Lark, and Jake White and sort of served a real apprenticeship there to learn about the game and see how some of the best in the world looked at the game. Um, and so I've tried to keep learning, keep evolving and pass that on. Um, been, been around a while, so I must be doing something okay in that regard. So, yeah, certainly something that's on the cards, whether that it's in coaching or high-performance management um, is something that would be the dream, I guess. But, yeah, it's a, pr- it's a pretty brutal world, as we've seen coaching out there. It's, uh, you know, one week you're the hero... One week, you're not. You know, you look at Dan, Darren Coleman, um, you know, last year, superstar. This year, he's had a bit of a rough start, you know what I mean? And, mm. um, yeah, I reckon it's a job that can probably be the most rewarding but the most frustrating at the same time, having watched a few coaches in, in my time. But, um, yeah, I think it's certainly something I would like to look at in the future. And I think that's a big difference between Australia and, and New Zealand. If you look at us culturally, you look how many ex-New Zealand players are coaching. You look at the Blues coaching staff, Leon McDonald. Daniel Helen Gahu, Paul Tito, yeah. Tana Umaga, all ex-players, right? And then you look at Australia that we don't have, I don't reckon there's as great a culture about going from playing to coaching mm. as there is in New Zealand. 
And I reckon we've lost a lot of rugby IP in that sense because guys have gone on to more corporate roles or, or whatever it may be. Um, you know, and that filters back into the New Zealand jersey and then they go abroad, they coach in wherever, Ireland, Wales, all those places, mm, and they come Japan, back and so that yeah. Yeah, give it back to the jersey. Steve Hansen, Warren Gatland, all these guys. So yeah. um yeah, it's something you know, I'm interested in. I know obviously Chris Heidberg's transferred over here into coaching Super W, Matt Hodgson's coaching Super W, Jeremy Thrush's coaching, Greg Holmes. So the more we can keep <laughs> the ball rolling and, you know, make that a, a more seamless transition for players into that coaching space, the better it's going to benefit our game, I think. Yeah, you, know, you see you see a guy like, you know, I thought the ultimate player who become a coach would be David Pocock, and now he's a bloody senator. So yeah. what are you, yeah, you going to do? He's... T- He's too smart, though that guy. <laughs> so he, should, so he could have been an astronaut. He could have been an astronaut if he wanted to be. To be fair, that point, so he could have done anything. So I know you both. Both you guys were in Zimbabwe. I think maybe the similar time period in your lives as boys. Did you ever get to play against him? And uh, who was the better player when you were young? <laughs> I think I don't think we need to debate who the better player was or who ended up the better player that's for sure um yeah well, until uh, until poey comes on here sitch it's you i'm afraid it's it's nah, the invitation's nah. out there for him that guy will be running the country in five years nah. um <laughs> yeah look obviously that's right as uh i've got some barbarian parents and uh we moved over i was born here and they moved back for a period of time um dad was involved in the agricultural scene obviously the pococks were farmers so through mutual friends, we knew the Pococks and when we first moved over, dad went for a coffee um, with his dad to see, you know, what the GPS rugby school lay land was like because he knew I was keen on rugby and wanted to make a fist at um, sort of making it into my career. And while we didn't cross paths in terms of playing against each other, I certainly knew about this man-child called Bam Bam that was running around at Churchy <laughs> and had taken names and also getting OP1s or ATARs of 99, as you guys call it, um, just yeah. being this perfect specimen and human um and then i was lucky enough to play with him for a year at the brumbies unfortunately did his acl and george smith came in yeah. uh, pretty handy replacement but yeah. sort of getting to rub shoulders with a, a person of that caliber for a year certainly made a, a big impact on my life and sort of you know around being professional and diligent and uh yeah we both i think we both have photos of us running around barefoot in grade three playing rugby um as you did back in zimbabwe but another thing that used to do back in Zimbabwe for cross country, which I couldn't believe when I came over back to Australia was for every grade you were in, you used to run a kilometer for that grade. So if you were grade 12, you did 12K for cross country. Oh, wow. And and then I came to Australia, back to Australia and, you know, we were running three Ks in grade eight, grade nine. I thought, this is a bit of a joke, isn't it? And I'm sure <laughs> that's why, that's why Pocock came back and was just this absolute specimen running rights because he'd been carrying boulders and throwing rocks and running 12Ks for fun. And you were running, bare, you were running barefoot over thorns, right? Well, you had to run. I think you had to run barefoot till grade five. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It did toughen. It did toughen you up. You never played against each other in uh, in Zimbabwe. So that means he was scared of you. He was running away. He was running away from you. No. <laughs> um, vice, vice versa. He went to a big school called Falcon <laughs> College, and I went to a, a school in the city called Heritage. Um, and that was sort of like, Falcon was kind of like your great college in South Africa. It was your big rugby school, boarding house, old school, prefects telling you to get haircuts, all the stuff you can't get away with in today's society. <laughs> um, you know, school of hard knocks. So, yeah, some crack, some cracking stories I'm sure he would have. Yeah, right. There you go. I was trying to work out there as you were, as you were giving us the timeline, whether how much 
how much overlap you and Poe would have had at the Brumbies? It was just the one year. Yeah, just the one year. So I went down. Your first uh, year down 20, here. 2012, 2013. And yeah. so my second year, 2013, is when he came across. Because I think yeah. 2012, he was the, the force captain. Yeah, I think you're across. right. Yeah, and he did his right. ACL, and then we had a pretty handy guy called George Smith come in. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It was fairly handy. Still, yeah, still didn't well, train though. No, oh no, he did train. He did train. He just, um, I didn't see him bench above sixty kilos, which gives all the non-athlete guys a chance <laughs> in rugby. <laughs> he would just absolutely turn it on game day and apply yeah. himself during training like any, no one I'd ever seen. Yeah, had it a fitness, was, had it a, yep. had it a fitness drill. It was it was quite incredible to to watch him and and I um, that was sort of one of my first first working years in in the media in Canberra and so you know we spoke to George Smith fairly often and you get to know him and all that and then he comes back Harry and plays for Australia against the Lions like you're playing he makes plays a test again after five years against the British and Irish Lions and and quite probably got knocked out <laughs> quite probably oh yeah. Absolutely got Polax. And then afterwards he was just, Oh yeah, no, it's fine, mate. It's fine. And yeah, you know, running run doing yeah, yeah, running doing a couple yeah. of days later, like, how are you, mate? You all right? Yeah, yeah, fine. No worries at all. You know, what are you up to? What's going on? You know, he, he seemed more interested in what we were doing, which is which was yeah. which is quite uh, quite incredible. It, it's a good point Ian you make about trying to uh judge players based on metrics, you know. Like a lot of times in, in coaching now we wanna you know, run drills and do like kind of a, a combine idea where you have um, mm. vertical leap, bench, yeah. this kind of thing. But I mean, some of the best players in co collision sports have been people who love collisions. Like Scott Berger is not a big guy in the gym. He doesn't ever lift yeah. anything, uh, but he loved to run through you and could accelerate in that final meter, which is a different mm. kind of being, right? Um, how do you, when you're looking at maybe getting into coaching or even maybe just understanding rugby, um, what do you? What are some of the things you picked up? What are, What are some of the metrics you like to look at? So what are the stats you don't like? Um, uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing for me that I've learned, and it was clear for me on day one from my first coach, is person first, athlete second. So, mm. Neil McKenzie called me up um, to come in for a trial, and I just missed out on Aussie twenties because um, that year they took two halfbacks instead mm. of three. They took Mick White, and Justin Turner. Luckily, um, I got called up later to come to Aussie 20s. And I was, I was living at college at the time and Neil McKenzie rang my college phone, which obviously no one rings. So I was like, I was pretty upset. <laughs> obviously a bit disappointed, didn't make Aussie 20s. I'd really put everything into that. And I thought it was my mates trying to cheer me up. And I was like, it was like, g'day mates, Neil McKenzie here. And I was like, righto lads, leave me alone. Just hung up straight away. <laughs> phone rings again. G'day mates, Neil McKenzie. I was like, seriously boys, I appreciate what you're doing here, but please just leave me alone. Bang, hang up. Phone rings a third time. G'day, you McKenzie. Seriously, mate, don't hang up. It's me. I was like, oh, sorry, sir. How are you? <laughs> you know? Like, sorry, sir. <laughs> yeah, he was a guy trying to give me a chance finally to have a crack at sort of pro rugby. Um, and I hung up on a couple of times. Oh, wow. Anyway, he, he brought me in and I was sitting in a room like this and it was, you know, SNC, assistant coach, assistant coach, him, psychologist. And they all interviewing me, asking me about rugby questions. And you McKenzie didn't say one thing. And he just kind of leant across, was taking notes, and then he just had four questions at the end. He just said, all right, um, what's your family history? Mum and dad still together. Um, what do they do for a living? What are you doing outside of footy? And I was studying at university at the time, University of Queensland. Um, and he asked me one other question. No rugby questions at all. 
And then he just said, why should we give you this opportunity? And I just said, look, mate, I've, I've never had a chance. You know, I was Queensland schoolboys shadow, Queensland under 16 shadow, Aussie 20 shadow, because that year they took two yeah. halfbacks instead of three and the other two were better than me. And Nick White, Justin Turner at that point. And um, I just said, I just need a chance. He said, right, leave it with us. Um, and then he called me out a couple of days later, said, right, come for a trial, we'll give you a chance. And I just it just sticks out to this day because he didn't ask me anyone, anything about how do I tackle, how do I pass, how do I do this. Yeah. You know, he asked me about myself and my background. So that's probably the biggest thing I reckon if I end up going to coaching. Like your metrics are important in terms of running, passing, tackling, lifting weights, all that stuff. But again, to know the human is the big one because then you know how a person's going to react if they don't get picked or if they get injured or if you put them in to start and they haven't had an ideal prep, whatever it is, you're going to see how that person reacts under pressure. Um, that's probably my biggest one, I reckon, if I go into coaching. Mm. It'll be it'll be that. It's get to yeah. know the person and what makes them tick. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You look at a guy like Johnny Sexton. I don't think he would win any um, physical measurement drill. As he said, he has shoulders like a snake. Um, he, but, you know, just the, the mind that he's working while he's playing, he sees things that other people are not seeing. And mm. I think I, w- I would imagine it's very difficult to test that, you know, like how well do you yeah. see a game? But yeah. um, you know, probably there's an indomitable will. The guy doesn't like to lose. He's kind of grumpy, grouchy when he loses. You, you want to see some of that, right? Yeah, 100%. And also then you've got the other side of the spectrum, like someone like DuPont, who's probably testing the top 1% for every yeah. physical metric yeah. there is because he's shrugging off front rowers and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think everyone's different, and that's sort of the balance you need in your squad and your team and then also personality on top of physical characteristics, I think, throw the big... It's more of an art than a science, I reckon, and trying to find a bit of both. You talk about your, your first your first couple of professional coaches there, you and Mackenzie and Jake White would have been. I mean, two yeah. fairly fairly contrasting characters there you've, you've managed first up. Yeah, definitely. And um, the Reds were keen to keep me. You know, we I sort of started in the academy as the third halfback and was lucky enough to earn an upgrade because I played enough games and you know, worked really hard to get that point and um, they were keen to keep me but, you know, when someone like Jake White comes knocking and has Stephen Lark and George Gregan as a consultant, Dean Benton, who was the best in mm. strength conditioning at the time in Australia, I thought, you know, what a chance to go and sort of test myself, move out of my hometown and learn off some of the best. And even just George Gregan, I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, like that's one of the guys I've idolised growing up. I can go learn off him and work with him and... Yeah, jumped at the chance to go there and, yeah, just completely contrasting style. Both were quite big on the psychological aspects in certain regards. Like, yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen the Bloke in the Bar podcast about Quay Cooper talking about that game where we played the Stormers where he just said, we're just kicking. You know, we were the entertainers and all we did was kick and then the Stormers started, the Stormers crowd started booing them because they'd scored the least tries but they were top of the table because they would just play territory, take field uh, penalties, mm. blah, blah, blah. And all the Stormers crowd thought we were going to entertain, but we said, no, 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 we're going to let you guys entertain. We're going to kick. And then Jake yeah. White was quite big quite big on that too about like psychology of this is how so-and-so plays, but we're going to do this, we're going to do that, then we're going to play this way, dictate this way. And, um, yeah, fascinating. Man managers, but both in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So you would have really played in two finals in your first couple of years because the Brumbies played the – 2013 final, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So I was quite lucky. Obviously, uh, 2011, I played the final. I didn't get on, so I had the best seat in the house. But um, I got on for the semi-final, which was good for a few minutes yeah. while Willie G rested his legs for the final. But you saved the um, season, man. 
But, <laughs> you know, for a, a kid that sort of grew up dreaming of playing for the Reds, and I remember driving to labour for my dad, um, you know, I think I was 18 or 19, I said, Dad, how good would it be just to play a few games for the Reds? You know, that's all I'd... Mm. All I dreamt about growing up, and I'd been shadow for this, shadow for that. It was, you know, because I went to a, a lower division school, and I probably wasn't as good, if not better, than the GPS school guys. Um, the way it sort of worked back then, and yeah, just worked my butt off to try and get a chance. And I finally got the chance, and I got to play in front of all my family and friends at age of twenty. Um, yeah. In front of a packed pack uncle, that was pretty cool. Um, even though you know I watched the whole game, but me and Will Chambers, but it was. Uh, <laughs> It was it was pretty special to be a part of and just to see how guys like Willie G and Quaid and Rod Davies, all these guys went about their business and yeah. basically became, you know, some of the best in the world that year. And then, yeah, a couple yeah. of years later, you know, the next year at Brumbies was a full full reset. Um, you know, we're basically half half the squad was club players from Brizzy and Sydney and then half were the guys that remained from Brumbies. And then within a year we were playing in the – final against the Chiefs um, and then we yeah. beat the British Rush Lions so it was a wild couple of first years that's for sure that 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 was a wild night that one for sure do, do you look at someone like um, like Tim Sampson who you would have had a fair bit to do with over the last couple of years in, in Perth and and just it looked like he was getting his ducks in, in, in order all of a sudden he's told he's not he's not required in Perth but he's bounced back in Melbourne and he looks like he's really got the Rebels attack firing so it, there's that there's that story and there's that, un, that underlining um, uh, you know thing about persistence and and just taking the opportunities as they come. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I guess a lot of timing is about. Uh, sorry, a lot of life is about timing, and that's the same yeah. with rugby. You know, um, right place, right time. And obviously, the organisation wanted to go a certain way, and and Tim was um, you know good enough to move to the Rebels and you know it says a lot about the man like a lot of people wouldn't go from a head coach to a senior assistant role um, mm. based on you know ego whatever it is but he's not that kind of not that kind of character and um, it's probably been you know a really refreshing period for him going to just coach not have to worry about as much signing or yeah. management or dealing with sponsors you know he just gets to coach and that's sort of what he fell in love with to start off with. So yeah. um, he's taken all his lessons from here that he's learnt over those years and obviously at the Vikings before that. And, mm. um, yeah, he's really got their attack firing and it's, he seems to have the, the backs playing with confidence and, you know, having that ability to express themselves. You know, outside centre's mm. grubbering, the winger picks it up on the inside, hits the inside ball to the halfback and he scores and then Carter Gordon mm. just sort of run, running his own show at a young age. Um, yeah, it's, it's good to see because he's a quality man and, we are where we are as a club because of some of the hard work he put in to get us here. So, yeah, yeah it's good to see it. Yeah, no doubt. What's been some of the shining lights for you guys over the first five rounds? And I think about someone like um, Zach Kibarigi on the on the wing who you brought over from England. He looks like he's really taken to life in the West pretty well. Um, it's really good to see Tom Horton back playing and playing yeah. Yeah. really well, lobbed in Perth for a, a chance really and not much else. Yeah, and those are the stories you love to love to hear and love to be yeah. a part of. I remember Bo Robinson while I was at the Reds sort of came up and was in the academy pouring schooners over the weekend and just training with us for a chance and ended up a Wallaby later that year. So, yeah. mate, Horta's a ripper fella. Um, he's a guy you really want to play next to because you know he's going to put his head in a dark place for you and he's going to go all day. He's built like a league back rower. Um, yeah, Zach's been good. Sam Spink's been outstanding. Obviously, yeah. we've missed him for a couple of weeks there. Um, Hamish Stewart's been really solid at 12. You know, he's not giving away too much weight there, but, geez, he, put, he puts his head in some dark places and he carries hard for the team. Mm. 
Um, one guy I've been really impressed with is Jeremy Williams, uh, yeah. our lock. He's been outstanding. He's 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 a real nice guy off the field, and then he crossed that white line. He's got a real bit of mongrel about him, um, and yeah, he's a guy. He's a guy I don't want to get on the wrong side of. So he's really good to play with. Um, and then Felix, um, the other second row, mate, he's been dynamic yeah. in the ball carries. He's only 21, 22, so he's still real baby in terms of second yeah. row. And then um, even someone like yeah, Ollie Callan looks like he's he's taken more steps since he you know went to Japan with the Australian Race Squad as well. So he like yeah. he looks like he's really stepped up this year. Yeah, and he, mate, he he's played some outstanding footy the last couple of years. But as you guys know, it's about that consistency when you get to that top yeah. level, and he's really shown that this year. So he's been impressive. Um, yeah, and and just having that ability to back it up because yeah, that seven position you get absolutely bashed. You know, wait till yeah, wait till week. It's not an easy job those blokes go through. And then you see someone like um, Jeremy Thrush, who I mean, it must mean he's got a couple of years on you, mate. So you obviously got. A good few years of playing it yet ahead of you if if, if Jeremy Thrush is, yeah. the, is, the, is the black the mark there. Yeah, him, him, Greg Holmes, and Rich Coe really stitched me up because they all retired at the same time. So <laughs> it brought the uh, it brought the average age down really quickly because they're all 38, 39, and 37. So yeah. yeah, mate. Um, you know, Thrush is a champion human and it just says a lot about the guy. He was just swimming laps and doing Pilates and doing retirement and then got the tap on the shoulder to come and have a run and then he scores a try. <laughs> And he captains the next week. I mean, yeah. you can't you can't write that stuff. So I've been calling him Johnny Farnham for the last couple of weeks. You know, one more time, and I'm sure next year we'll see him rolling around again at some point. <laughs> imagine, imagine you go to your first Pilates class, and and Jeremy Thrush is the guy next to you. Yeah. <laughs> big, big, uh, yeah. big handlebar mustache. Going yeah. to the Pilates studio with his his lycra on them there. I, I still I, I still love his reasoning for it. That was just the lengths he was prepared to go to to avoid a preseason. Yeah, we did joke <laughs> about that because for the last few years, Strutty really didn't do too much of preseason. He always had some kind of niggle, and at you know round one would re- his body would miraculously recover, and then yeah, obviously this year we thought, come on, mate, you didn't have to retire to get out of preseason. <laughs> he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming, so. No, nah, he's, he's a ripper fellow, mate. And he's doing really well in his coaching career too. He's really enjoying that, mm. um, helping the next generation come through. And that's why guys like Jeremy Williams and Felix have done so well in that space. And he's coaching one of the local clubs over here, West Scarborough, as their head coach. So he's really sinking his teeth into the role and, and doing really well there. And that's what, you know, what we were talking about earlier, trying to keep that IP both in Australia but also in Western Australia because so many people come here and then end up back in Sydney or Brisbane, wherever. So if we can keep that in our grassroots system and – get to learn off guys like that. It's pretty special. Rugby on the Raw. Ian, tell us about the current state of the force and, and even the game in Western Australia more broadly now. I know a lot of work has gone in your grassroots programs and, and all that sort of stuff. How, how's the game faring over there locally? Well, I think it's shaping up really well, to be honest. Um, we had a rough couple of years there sort of after 2017, um, everything that happened there, 2018 and 2019, yeah. were pretty pretty thin on the ground because I think a lot of people that sort of came over here with the hope of, you know, working into that pathway and getting a chance through club rugby and to maybe train with the force and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, that disappeared because the, the, the perception had disappeared and then rapid rugby started up, NRC, and they changed names a few times and, you know, comp's not going ahead, let's do that. Then COVID hit. Um, that was probably the best thing that could have happened for us, to be fair, because then we yeah, got pulled back in Super you know, Rugby. So, mm. But what has been 
um, impressive is is the passion and the commitment. Like you look at our Super W program, how professional that is now. Yeah. Um, our Pathways program for both male and female, supercharged. Andrew Nicola's investment in getting rugby into the public school system here and, you know, upskilling the coaches to get that game within the school system has been really impressive. So, you know, I think the game's in a really good spot. And this probably goes across Australia now that we've got a couple of carrots in terms of 2025 Lions, 2027 Male World Cup, 2029 Female World Cup. There's a real excitement about the game and a real buzz. So, you know, I think our grassroots system is getting better. Um, you know, the force is certainly investing heavily in terms of pathways and a lot of ex-players ending up in the coaching space there and helping out. And, um, you know, I think just the professionalism of the organisation under Tatarang and Mindaroo has gone up a few levels because mm. there's just an expectation now and there's a competitiveness for spots not only as players but also as staff and, you know, corporate staff and there's a real desire to want to be better and not just talking yeah. about it, but actually backing up with action. So I think it's a really exciting chapter coming up in WA and Western Forces um, history, so to speak. Does that, does that flow through in the, in the media as well? And I know that, you know, Nick Taylor um, moved on from the Western Australian last year or perhaps was moved on as, 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 as the case may be. Uh, are you still getting the amount of coverage that you need over there? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, we're in AFL heartland, and that's that's one of yeah. our challenges as an organisation is is being relevant in that space because you've got these couple of powerhouses and mm. um, the Eagles and the Dockers, and when they're doing well, there's nothing else going on in town. Um, obviously, the West Coast Fever have been doing quite well as well. Mm. And Perth's a real parochial town. If you're winning, Perth people are happy to jump on the bandwagon. So yeah, the more we can get back into that space and the work we're doing in the community as players, both Super and Super W, to get that connection with, you know, younger players to come and they've met you, they're involved with you now as a player and they're excited to come and watch you. Oh, yeah, I met so-and-so at training and, you know, he's a really good fellow, he helped me with this, that and the other. And then that buy-in comes in there asking mum and dad mm. to go to the game. And that's a, not only across WA, I think it's across all Australian rugby. It's getting a connection back to the grassroots um, yeah. from playing all the way down. Because, you know, back in the day when I started playing super, oh, sorry, when I, when I started playing uh, men's A grade, premier grade in, in Queensland, super rugby used to finish in May and then all the players would come back into club in June and then it would be like yes. super rugby basically, you know. Like I remember playing a game yeah. versus Sunnybank versus UQ and there were, I think there was 25 Reds players across both teams, you know, and that was pretty much a bloody hell trial. Yeah, you know, yeah. I remember yeah. the, the Sunnypack, Pack had like Greg Holmes, Ollie Avi, Adam Wallace Harrison, Rob Simmons, Jake Schatz, Benny Adams, both Lucas brothers, Ben Tapawai, Richard Kingy, and then the UQ team had like Laurie Weeks, Heath Tessman, Chiba Hansen, Adam Burns, Mitch Chapman. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Rod Davies, Luke Morahan, Simon Morahan, Tom Cox, who played nearly Aussie Sevens, like it was yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and that you know that that flowing on, and you know, club players getting to play and train with those guys is you know that has a huge effect for the game yeah. flowing down. Yeah. So, the more we can connect back to that grassroots and and have the system all the way up and all the way down, the better we're going to be. Having someone like Simon Cron involved then would be really crucial in that point. He's got a, a big history in club rugby in New Zealand and Sydney as well. Before he went to Japan, he, he's he's links with. Northern suburbs in Sydney is still strong with Michael Wells yeah. making the trip yep. west. So, you know, having someone yeah, heard, like Cronny there would be huge for that. Yeah, I heard they named the grandson after him on Cronny over there. <laughs> Probably. No, nah, he's uh, 
but he's he is a really sharp operator. Like you talk about coaches that know the game, and he knows mm. the game inside and out. He knows the way he wants to play it and train it, and he he's very black and white with it, which is good. You need that with a, a young squad, and yeah, he's obviously served a really good apprenticeship in that space. Um, tested himself over in Japan, learnt under a really good mentor there in Steve, and then come back and yeah, he runs a really good program. Very professional the way he conducts himself and what he expects of players around him and the coaches around him, which mm. then brings up everyone else, you know, which is really exciting. But I think you're seeing more of that now across all the teams. You look at Mick Heenan over there. Obviously, I worked under him yeah. at UQ. He helped bring me through. Now he's at the Reds. You've got DC, obviously, at, at Tars. And, yeah, you've got to have that connection because mm. that's where the players come from. Um, Outside down ever- the Grumbies. Yeah, that's right. And not everyone yeah. comes straight from school into academy into pro programs. Some people like myself have to go and graft for a few years. Jock Campbell, we look at him. He's a wallaby yeah. now. He came through the same pathway as me. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are the stories you've got to capture because that that tells everyone it's possible and that keeps people involved in the game rather than saying, oh, yeah, I might not commit as much. I might focus on, on whatever it may be outside yeah. of that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's good to keep the hope and the dream alive that way, I think. So, Ian, I've been working on my empathy lately and one... Uh, <laughs> One one part of that is because I create so much need for empathy uh, with my actions. But uh, the other thing is, I actually pod every week with a with a halfback, and I I realized that you know when I played, I was my bum was always in the I was an eight, my bum was always in the nine's face, and so I tried to understand the world through Brett's eyes, and he has an extraordinary amount of scrum halves come on our podcast. So I'm yeah. trying to think think this through uh, the the so, life of a nine. Some might say that was deliberate. Yeah. (laughs) As I contemplate the life of the nine and I think about the shape of the game that would have happened from your age 20 to now, I mean, almost everything that's happened in rugby has affected the nine quite a bit. In some ways, some of the tackle height laws or I would call halfback preservation laws, uh, because you guys guys tend to not, not have to bend so much to hit that height. But on the other side, there's more rucks. You have to play more support rugby. You have to anticipate wider rucks because attacks are wider. So your anaerobic and aerobic um, demands have to be higher. Mm. Um, and you're now actually, because of the differences of how the def- defenses work, you also have to play a support role in defense, which is different, I think. I think most of the time, back in the old days, nines hid on defense and now they cannot. And sometimes like, a guy like Faf de Klerk is the spearhead of the defense. So. Talk, talk us through how the role of the nine changed in your career and where do you think it's going and do you think that's accurate, that it's an actually tougher position to play now? Clearly. Yeah, it's 100% agree. Um, and I think I love your terminology of anaerobic and aerobic. It makes the, the master's nerd and he really tick over. This. So <laughs> we'll start talking about anaerobic glycolysis and um, the Krebs cycle. We'll, we'll suck on on that path. But Oh, goodness. Yeah, um, I think... Definitely the running has increased, the running demands. You look at a lot of teams now, back in the day, you know, every halfback if was world-class, you play 80. That doesn't happen mm. anymore. Guys are playing 50 and 60 because the intensity is so high now and the ball in play is longer. And now there's less breaks because you've got less props going down, changing their boots five times to try and slow the game down and video refs getting involved and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's been certain players that have changed the game. Obviously, Aaron Smith's a certain type of nine, um, and he's world-class, but he's sort of been your, your delivery nine and he can snipe and he's a world-class kicker. He can put the ball on an absolute dime. And then you look at someone like TJ Perinaro and he was coming through. He was almost like another back rower. He was picking the yeah. driving off the edge of the ruck, 
taking players on, bumping people in the back row because he was so dynamic and strong. You know, you got Faf, like you said. Nick White was an unreal kicker at the start of his career because that's what he was asked to do, and he developed his running game. And I think the biggest change is, yeah, your frontline defence. Now a lot of nines are defending on the edge because teams are defending 13-2, and two, sort of your Northern Hemisphere style. So, you know, if you're tackling, you know, some of those big minor Pacifica guys that run down my channel the other day, it certainly takes a toll on your shoulders. <laughs> um, they, kept, they kept seeming to find me. I kept having to chop them below the knees. But, um, yeah, I'd say, A, the running, the running metrics, the running demands have increased um, and, turn, and a lot more higher speed running. And definitely in your support lines too. Mm-hmm. Your defence has to be better because, yeah, like I said, you can't hide behind the ruck anymore. They're hiding more tens these days, but in the channels, yeah, which I find true. interesting. But um, yeah, so that that's had to change how you defend as a halfback, and then the kicking emphasis. I think there's been a lot more emphasis on your box kicking, um, both in terms of exits and contests. We look at Ireland, you look at France, the top teams in the world, New Zealand, South Africa. They only are up there because their kickers are accurate and the nines are, are a big part of that. So mm-hmm. those are probably the major ones. One of the great rules that was brought in was the ruck don't touch the nine because it was getting so annoying, a back row just climbing his way through and jumping on you because he could. And then suddenly mm-hmm. this rule came in, can't touch the nine. It's the best rule in the game, you know? <laughs> Cl- closely, closely followed by opposition nine can't go past the centre channel. Oh, yeah, how, how good is that? <laughs> don't have someone sticking their and, leg and then, as you're trying to pass now. And then yeah. Nick White brought Nick White brought in an extension of the rule, which was don't even said don't make a suggestion of a touch of the nine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 He definitely, uh, yeah. I think it, I think he'd definitely take that back if, if he had his time again because uh, Nick White's <laughs> the ultimate competitor and he loves going for a scrap. So you know yeah. that was uh, definitely a heat of the moment. And hey, it worked, wasn't it? Yellow card. So he he the rules. He played the rules to letter of the law. It was an unprovoked attack on his character, and it was dealt with appropriately. I will say that's right. And it wasn't as <laughs> wasn't as bad as the uh, what was that French fullback that caught the ball in twenty twenty when Marika kind of just clipped him off that kickoff. And oh, the, fr- the French number eight. It was Geelong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was you know because the rules said this at the time, but Marika was like sniper in the stands, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's sad. So, Very sad. Yeah, the games. The games certainly trying to stay relevant and stay safe so mums and dads want their kids to play but we can't lose the art of the spectacle at the same time you look at like quick state of origin how nrl's got a certain set of rules now and then you get to origin it's kind of like let the gladiators play you know this is this is this is the art of war now this is our product so it's that real fine balance isn't it Mm. Mm. I'm conscious of time, mate, and conscious that we need to, need to let you go. But it feels like every conversation that we're having in rugby in Australia this year is um, is framed around Eddie Jones and the Eddie Jones impact and all that. Has he has he found his way to the West? What sort of impact has been felt over there with with his appointment? Yeah, no, we haven't um, seen him over in the West yet. Obviously, we've been travelling a bit, but yeah, I think you just look at how much he's penetrated the headlines in terms of the media, and that's. That's the kind of of, uh, of weight he brings to the um, to the game, and you hear all the old players. You know, you look at like Morgan Turnley and Drew Mitchell, and these guys talk about, them, they almost like shudder or Matt Guido, these guys because they've mm. like got this fear, but this enormous respect of the guy because he's almost like a chess master, and all the boys are on a pawns on or kings and knights and bishops getting moved around. <laughs> you know, so um, the one article I did find interesting that came up was the one about oh, we have to play a power game. Yeah. which I find fascinating because 
that's how England beat New Zealand, right? Like they play the power game mm. and New Zealand are a high, they obviously have their own power game themselves, but they're a high skill team. And England just came out and were just ferocious. And then South Africa did that to England and they won. You know what I mean? So you look at the way the game is being played. He's not wrong, but it's, it's, it's good to hear that he's not just playing the, we need to run everything, play running rugby, because that's not winning rugby at the mm. top level at the moment, particularly international. So that's, uh, that's, that's, what you want to hear he wants to win yeah I, I thought it was the most insightful and revealing um words he's spoken about style and we, we were yeah. wondering what what will post rennie what will eddie really bring on the field that's different because he's yeah. he's not going to find some mystery tribe of rugby players that exist in australia i mean he's going to play with pretty much the same group mm -hmm. of players and it was interesting that he said that possession game is dead when ireland which i know stands alone but Ireland is actually doing everything different from everyone exactly else. Exactly right. Exactly so right. I wondered if Eddie just thought that takes five years, and I don't have five mm. years because I know yeah. you guys are going to have yeah. results in one year. Yeah. So. But I think I think Ireland's also an enigma because what other team do you see box kick forty meters out from an opposition try line? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know what I mean? Like Ireland do kick a lot. They probably kick the second most behind France. And that's why mm. they're ranked up there. You know, like they do have a lot of ball in play time, but they don't play anything in their own 60. They they did. They, so they, they were definitely second most kicking meters, but they were by far the most carries um, and they carry um, longer. I mean, they have longer possession phases than any other team mm. by but they, 40%. Yeah. yeah, but they do it. They, they do it in the right area. They don't do anything in their own 60. Because like I said, you don't no. see anyone else kick 40 meters out from the opposition try line, but Ireland will have a no. go. And if they don't get anywhere, they'll kick. But if they're in the 22, they'll hold on the ball for 10 minutes. That's so right. That's, yeah. the, so that's, they, that's they, the fascinating they, one. They also narrow their attack in the 22 and their passes are all short. I mean, yeah. I'm talking two or three meters. Mm. There's no cutouts. They don't do a lot of um, miss. They really don't do the kind of things yeah. that you see in Australian rugby a few years ago when people would be on attack against the All Blacks, they would undo themselves with these long cutouts mm. that get snaffled up. Um, yeah. So Ireland is a very disciplined team in its own way. I just, yeah. I was really curious. I thought I thought Eddie might want to follow that fashion, but it looks like he's going to go back, like you say, to um, a physical, and he mentioned the kind of athletes that he's drawing from, uh, the the island players who he thinks can, can win that collision. So that's interesting mm. too. Yeah, well, you know, what does short passing mitigate? from defense it mitigates line speed so yeah right. all they're doing is pinching the gain line recycling because the hardest thing to do is defend because you've got to tackle repeatedly so island are playing a really smart game where they're playing those short tips and short plays getting behind the gain line repeatedly taking away any line speed and they're just inching their way forward waiting for a mismatch and then they're executing because they have fresh yeah. legs in the right areas because they're not doing anything inside their own 50 and that's that's yeah. the smart thing that they're doing I've still got I've still got Lancaster's words in my ear, Harry from last year when we had him on, and he said, "If you don't have the size, why wouldn't you play for space?" Yeah, it's I know a, that's right. It's simple but obvious, isn't it? And the other yeah. thing it does, though, it, it really makes your cleaning your cleaning becomes a lot easier when you're not yeah. having to go eight meters to the next ruck. Yeah, that's, right. True. that's true. right. That's right. They're winning the race to space. Ian, your your next month really, I mean, it's about as as tough a draw as, as I've seen, I have to admit, uh, Hurricanes away, Waratahs away, Highland is back in in Perth, then Reds away, Crusaders away. Oof, I yeah. mean, bloody hell, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that is, a, that is a tough trot, but, um, you know, we prepared for that in the preseason. We talked about the draw, 
when it's going to be tough and you know our coaching staff put us through scenarios where we train with like heavy legs on this certain day because this would mimic okay we've come back from new zealand now we've got to play the next game at home after yeah, playing right. the crusaders and reds away so we've done our prep in terms of that but there's not many teams that get an easy draw these days so you can make an excuse no. for it or you can look at it lick your lips put your head down and go for it and um yeah you know yeah. it is tough for teams to travel over here like it is tough for us but we've gotten used to it like that that's just the reality of our situation look at the Fremantle dockers and the west coast eagles they're the same you know some of the most traveled teams week to week in world sports so yeah i think i think um the travel is not a factor it's definitely just the quality opposition that we need to make sure we're we're up for yeah no doubt well my best of luck for it it's been a been a fascinating chat it's been great to have you on um and we just wish you all the best once you do get back on the field and um and for you guys for the rest of the season no worries thanks very much for having me on guys um really yeah, enjoyed go it well. Yeah. go well cheers the roar Harry, fantastic to have uh, Ian, Ian Pryor. Um, very clear when he, when we talk to him that he's he. I mean, we talk about students of the game, but that actually comes through. You hear him explaining certain things about defensive patterns, and um, you know, aside from the sheer fact that he's looking after Masters degree number two right at the moment. Um, you know, he's a. This is a guy who has spent a lot of time and a lot of a lot of his playing time studying. No, it's very obvious, and he's a great asset for Australian rugby, uh, but it, it's clear that he loves to analyze the game while he's yeah. playing it, but he also has very clear ideas on how to explain it, which is different. I mean, not every great player makes a great coach. A lot of no. times the best coaches are these guys that really had to work really hard and understood the game because they had to undress it a little bit more, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, and, I, and I, think, I think he could make a good coach in the – in the very near future, I think. I, I think he's got that that sort of brain yeah. for the game. Think, so, yeah, so interesting, interesting. Uh, URC, mate, um, some interesting results on the weekend, probably none more so than Leinster and the Stormers drawing 22-all on Friday night, uh, as, as you said. Um, Scarlet's beating Sharks. The Sharks was interesting as well. Sharks are, are just a really puzzling team this year. They're, they're yeah. doing well in the European competition, but it looks like they've shut down on the league, almost you know giving up on it. Um, Stormers-Leinster was interesting because both teams were very cagey. Both were missing some yeah. of their top players, uh, Leinster more. But still, it looked like in the first half, 17-0, it looked like the Stormers were trying out you know, what game they'll put on the field in the playoffs, which is, you know, a power game with yeah. big big counterattacks and speed on the edges. And then they kind of shut it down and didn't want to get anyone injured. And then Leinster yeah, right. came crawling back. And I think that was an interesting game because Leinster kicked it out at the end to take the draw. And they seemed happier. They seemed happier to take the draw. So yeah, right. um, That's I think Stormers will go in thinking we can trouble them. Yes, the, yeah. you know, the, big, the big guys are coming back. But it's not going to be an easy win for uh, Leinster. It won't be just a coronation. No, no. So they're 13 points clear of the Stormers in second spot right at this point in time. Yep. And yep. The, the interesting part for me is – Connaught in six are on 44 points. Then the Bulls are 43. The Sharks are 41. Then Benetton are on 40. The Car Cardiff are on 39. The Lions are on 38. So six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, separated mm. by a game and a half. So that's yep. that's going to be interesting. We'll keep an eye on that over the uh, over the, over the last 
few rounds there. The Premiership um, on the weekend, again, a couple of interesting little ones. Leicester had a big win over Bristol. Saracens gave Harlequins a bit of a, a bit of a touch up as well, and then Bath beat um, Exeter in the late game this weekend. So, so again, you know, Saracens lead Sale by eleven points up on mm. top. So that's a that's a bit of a, a bit of a gap opening up there as well, which is which is interesting, I think. Yeah, and for the Tigers, for all South African fans and maybe World Cup watchers, Andre Pollard had really one of the best games. And he's had yeah. three in a row now, man of the match type performances. He yeah. chipped the defense, gathered and scored. Uh, looks like he's physically back uh, just in time. And that's what the thing yeah. about watching the, these all these different leagues is you have to watch all these leagues to find yeah, all these it. different players all over the that's place it. now. It's unbelievable. Well, Speaking of, so the Saitama Wild Knights, the artist formerly known as Panasonic, had a had a nineteen ten <laughs> win over uh, Toyota for Blitz in uh, the League One in Japan. So they're now seven points clear at the top of League One. Suntory running third, which is always interesting. Canada Eagles are fourth. There, Kubota it is. It's, that's um, that's second. Uh, and then in the states, I happen to see some scores. Through over the weekend, um, it's re- it's really interesting. In the Eastern Conference, the New England Free Jacks are five points clear, but in the Western Conference, Seattle, San Diego, and Houston are separated by one point. So that's yeah. that fascinates me at the at the moment. That's really interesting. Super W started in Australia uh, on this weekend. Just gone, uh, we had the Waratahs women beat Western Force forty three nil Friday night. Uh, the Brumbies women went to Fiji and went down 12-7. So they've acquitted themselves really well in Fiji. And then Queensland had a 43-0 win over the, uh, the Melbourne Rebels women as well. So, um, yeah, Super W is off and running uh, this weekend. That'll carry on through the next oh, month and a half, I think it goes for. So we'll, we'll keep uh, we'll keep everyone up to date with scores for that. Um, Super Rugby Pacific round six this weekend. Moana Pacifica and the Highlanders uh, in Auckland on Friday night, followed by the Queensland Reds and the Crusaders in Brisbane. That'll be a ripping game Friday night. On Saturday afternoon, uh, Fijian Drua against the Melbourne Rebels in Suva on Saturday afternoon. That'll be... Mm. That'll be all kinds of atmosphere. That'll be incredible to watch. I can't wait for that. That's then followed by the Chiefs and the Blues in Hamilton. That's going to be a cracking game. And then the Brumbies and Waratahs in Canberra Saturday night. So three games back-to-back on Saturday that are all going to be absolutely fascinating. And the round finishes with uh, the Hurricanes and the Western Force in Palmerston North on Sunday. And don't forget to our Australian listeners, uh, particularly on the East Coast, Daylight Saving ends Sunday morning. So... Set your alarms accordingly. A little bit of news, mate, and it's a little bit hard to ignore this this news at the moment, particularly from an Australian Australian rugby point of view. Joseph Suali'i, who was a schoolboy prodigy, went and played rugby league uh, for for South and then the Roosters, announced or confirmed over the weekend that he will join the Waratahs and Rugby Australia for the 2025 season and, and with the hope of playing in that Lions series and a Rugby World Cup and all that. And... That's frankly all there is to say on that at this point. What what, posi- what what position in Union does he play? I think he probably starts off at fullback. He may end up at 12, but I think he pro- – not unlike Geordie Barrett, actually, but I think he starts at fullback, and that's probably a good fit for him mm. at the moment. But what we're not going to do on this podcast, mate, and this is you know, maybe me telling you as much as asking, is 
we're not going to give regular updates on how this 18-month wait is going to go. There's No, if, that's, a, that's a waste of time. But the fullback exactly. position in Australian rugby is so scrambled anyway. I don't even know exactly. who the fullback is. Um, yeah. And look at Jordy uh, Barrett's hopping the other way on the codes. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is true. Spent spent a couple of days uh, with the Melbourne Storm, which was which was interesting. Uh, last Tuesday, we saw Scott Robertson named as the All Blacks coach, and I am fascinated to see how this all plays out over the next six months, particularly on the results of Ian Foster and the All Blacks. If he has a down couple of weeks, you can see that the noises will start. Do we need to get Robinson in now? And if the All Blacks suddenly go on a bit of a run. Then what? So that's the, the, fascinating. The, the quietest rugby nation that always had their stuff all lined up like ducks in a row is turned into a Mexican <laughs> soap opera now. I mean, like New Zealand rugby is, they're just hurting feelings everywhere. Oh, I, I'm it's a great way I'm of putting it. on empathy right now. And I just don't think Ian Foster has really been treated in the way that they normally treat a coach. But we'll see. Oh, yeah. And, and conversely, he has absolutely zero to give on this one too as well um, <laughs> uh, in wales um a bit of news coming out of the weekend the welsh rugby clubs have voted unanimously or 97.2 percent to approve mm. some Good. radical proposals from the welsh rugby union to increase the number of skilled independent people on the board uh, and to slash the number of elected members from clubs it's going to be it looks like it's going to be modernize, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the biggest changes in Welsh rugby history, quite, quite frankly, and it's been heralded as plenty as as a defining day for the game in Wales as well. So that will be interesting to see how that how that plays out. And then a little bit of signing news as well. Um, Brad Shields, who played nine Tests for England, uh, won a Super Rugby title with the Hurricanes, is coming back to the Hurricanes next season. Um, once his season finishes up, he is, he's playing with Perpignan in France at the moment. He's ex-Wasps, of course, which who um, fell fell apart. Played 103 games for the for the Canes up until 2018 when he left, and um, and it was just I think general celebrations amongst Kane fans to, to have have him come back. He's a genuine fan favorite. He's a Viking. He's gonna go out on his shields. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Very good. And on that note, that's us done for episode 55 of the Raw Rugby Podcast. Don't forget Harry and I are both on socials and the five-star ratings and reviews just keep flowing in. Please do leave one if your pod platform allows it and we will read them out. So thank you to everyone who has left us a rating a review and it does help with the listings and the algorithms and all that sort of stuff as always don't forget to like follow subscribe on your pod platform of choice and you'll get those new new episodes as your notifications go live it's the raw rugby podcast with me brett mckay and harry jones every week on the raw.com.au australia's biggest sporting debate the home of all your favorite rugby analysis opinions and conversations thanks for listening we will be back in your ears next week Come play with us.